welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning. It's great to be here with you worshiping this morning. Uh, we see lots of new faces, and so that's also very exciting. Uh, one of the things that we've done, if you're new, make sure you grab a welcome bag from me before, you're, before you leave today. We also have coffee uh, and tea and water available uh, in the hospitality suite after the service. So take time to get to know one another, and I'm sure the kids will be on the playground. And so uh, that's a great place to get to know one another as well. Um, We also, just this week, added in those pews, you'll notice there are little note cards. And so uh, you can take notes if you want during the service on Sundays. If if any of you older kids of your parents are okay with it, uh, if you like playing with sharp things, you're welcome to help me sharpen those pencils uh, every week. And, uh, you know, we can restock those every week. So, um, but yeah, so those are available to you now. As I said, I'm I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Uh, And as we get started this morning, as we dig into God's word together, let me go ahead and pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, back when the pandemic began, which is also when the church started, uh, Ashley and I were living in the city of Alexandria at that point, in the Del Rey area. We had a really nice garden plot over there. It was about two blocks from our house that we could walk to. And over the, the time, the two years that we had been in that house, we grew some really amazing things in that garden plot. We grew all kinds of flowers. Uh, I really enjoyed growing cucumbers, which came constantly, different kinds of tomatoes uh, and, and kale during the winter time. And I even grew a couple stalks of Brussels sprouts. So if you go to Trader Joe's and you see those big stalks with all the Brussels sprouts, I actually had a chance to grow a couple of those before the Harlequin bugs destroyed them uh, in the late summer. And, you know, if there's one thing that I have learned uh, from gardening, it is that things take a long time. Fruit, veggies, flowers. Things take a long time to grow. And besides watering properly, you've got to think about the soil content. And then you've got to care for that plant for months. Some plants may take up to a year and a half, like garlic. And you've got to watch these things to make sure that fungus doesn't eat eat it, that that pests don't eat it, that leaf mold doesn't get it. Um, And after months of care... You can finally enjoy the fruits of your labor. And tomatoes and cucumbers, you know, there's a couple months where those things are just going to be coming constantly. But there are other things like those Brussels sprouts that you will toil at for months, watching, waiting. And finally, maybe by August, you will have some Brussels sprouts unless you grow them over winter. And then it takes even longer. Um, But... And and even when you do, those Brussels sprouts, if you have two stalks, they're only going to make a couple meals. And so all that work for months will last a couple dinners, which is great. But that's the reality of it. And, And the other day I got really excited because my tiger lily finally bloomed in my backyard after 
waiting since April, seeing those little leaves. And it surprised me then, thinking about how long things take to flower and bloom, that at the beginning of the pandemic, people were fearful to go to the grocery store. And so a lot of people decided, I'm going to try and grow my own food. And so people who have never had any experience gardening or farming or doing any of that decide, I'm going to tear out my front lawn and I'm going to make raised beds for the first time ever and figure this out. I'm going to Google how to garden and make my own food. And on the one hand, that's great, right? Because you're helping native bee populations and that's wonderful creation care. Um, And hypothetically, it would have worked. But, you know, in order for that to work, what you really got to do is get all your neighbors involved grow like one or two things and start bartering with one another. So Father Ryan may have like, you know, 50 stocks of corn, uh, you know, and I might trade tomatoes with him and we could have a balanced meal of tomatoes and corn. Uh, But, you know, that's the only way that kind of thing works. But people didn't think through that. They just thought, you know, if I plant corn and wheat and all these things that I can bake my own bread and You know, it's sort of unrealistic. They didn't think it all the way through. They thought that they could avoid trips to the grocery store by farming in their front yard. So imagine how frustrating it is when they discover that really only after like six weeks, the only thing that will grow that quickly are radishes. Uh, Going so many radishes. (laughs) And so, again, I'm very pro-garden. But, you you know, and and I do think that you learn a lot about the character of God when you work with the soil. But my point is that it's unrealistic to think that you can grow a sufficient amount of food quick enough in your front yard to avoid having to go to the store. But I think that naive kind of optimism that people had, uh, sort of endearing, it tells us something about us as people, which is that we are impatient. We have this tendency to want things to come to us faster than they usually do, and it is really hard to wait. What we're doing now is we're beginning a series for the next several weeks in the book of Colossians. And uh, St. Paul is going to talk about the ways especially this morning, that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. And it's a helpful reminder to us, because waiting for fruit is really challenging, and it tests us. And what we learned from this passage in Colossians 1 this morning is that there is this beautiful heuristic spiral that happens of fruit bearing. The the heuristic spiral looks like this. We grow in the knowledge of the Lord, And then we grow in the virtue of good works. And then as we live that out, we grow in God's will and the knowledge of the Lord. So we grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And then we grow in doing virtuous works as we come to know him. And in doing that, we grow again in the knowledge of the Lord. There's this spiral that works heuristically. So as we get into the book of Colossians, let me start a little bit with the the background of the letter. It was probably written between the years 52 and 56 of the common era, about 30 years after Jesus' earthly ministry. St. Paul is imprisoned. Uh, is one of the prison epistles. We don't know where he's in prison, church tradition. Uh, some of church tradition thinks he's imprisoned in Rome, and that's possible. We really don't know. Uh, but the city of Colossae at this point um, was pretty large. It's in a region of Phrygia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And the city was sort of this, uh, this threefold, sort of three cities together. Laodicea, which would have been the largest, and Hierapolis, then Colossae. 
These three cities were very populated, but by um, the year 60 AD, that city, Colossae, had been ravaged by a huge earthquake and never really economically recovered. But we do know from coinage and other things that the city of Colossae in that era had a really sizable Jewish population, possibly up to two or 3,000 Jews living in the city of Colossae. And it's probably from that group that some of these first converts came. Converts to the way of Jesus. And it seems like, from what we gather in this letter, St. Paul had never actually gone to Colossae before writing this letter. The message came through Epaphras, which we heard about this morning in chapter 1, verse 7. And there seems to have been people who have come into Colossae after people have heard the message and responded in faith. There are some of come in and have disturbed the spiritual progress that these Colossians are making. And so this letter is written to address some of those concerns. And we're going to get into what those things are in our next couple weeks together. Uh, St. Paul writes to them. Uh, This is from St. Paul. Uh, The vocabulary is really different than his other prison epistles. So it's likely that he either wrote it through Timothy or that he wrote it through a scribe, someone called an amanuensis. Uh, and so often amanuenses uh, had some creative license to write under the authority of the person sending off the letter. And one of the major themes in the book of Colossians is the glorification and the lordship of the crucified Messiah. The glorification and the lordship of the, the crucified Christ. One writer, uh, N.T. Wright, says it this way. I think this is a great summary of the book of Colossians. He says, Though Judaism knew God as Father, the precise nature of his paternal love could not be conceived until it had been revealed in the cross of the Messiah. Nor could that cross be understood, conversely, until it became clear that it was the climax of the saving plan of the God of Israel. And that, therefore... This God had now exalted the crucified one and given him the title Lord. So this crucified one has been given the title Lord. You can think of verses 1 through 8 that we read this morning as St. Paul giving thanks. And he gives thanks for what God has done for them. And then in verses 9 through 23 of this chapter, it gets into how he's praying for them. So first, the ways that he gives thanks. Uh, The second half of this first chapter is ways that he is praying for them. And what God has done for them is a work of new creation. He's not just made them better people. He's made them a new people. And the gospel had been preached to them. The good news of the saving works of God had um, found that are found in the person and the work of Jesus, the Messiah. This group had met this message that was preached with faith. uh, And that produced In them a divine love for one another. God was doing a creative work of taking those who were not a people and making them into a people together. In in the mysterious plan of God, you and I are part of that same mystery of unleashing the power of God through the good news of Jesus Christ. Simply through its proclamation along with living it out. And I'm always surprised when I speak that message to somebody And it encounters them with the hearing of faith. I shouldn't be surprised by that, but I am. Uh, There's no greater joy than when that happens, the the surprise of that. Sometimes in a conversation, 
you know, I, I know I'm, I'm uh, what might happen is you say something and um, sometimes I like to drop language about Jesus just to see how it's going to fall. Uh, not in a disingenuous way, but because that's just part of who I am and how I live. And I remember on the playground once with our son, I was talking with another parent about how following Jesus teaches me a lot about how I parent my child. And uh, then there was a really awkward silence. And so I changed the subject. And, you know, so that, that person, I don't know if they received that in faith. I assume not, but you never know what the Holy Spirit's doing. And instead we just changed the topic and talked about other surface level things. Uh, a very Northern Virginia thing to do. Uh, and I wasn't trying to be fake, right? I was, I was, it really does affect the way that I parent and the ways that I think about God's love as a parent. And so it came from the way that I live my life. And then I was thinking about this other time before uh, our son had been born. I was at a coffee shop buying coffee, and uh, which is not surprising if you know me. And I had this conversation with one of the, the women that worked there. And I told her how I used to work in the coffee industry. And one of my favorite things to do as somebody who follows Jesus is to sit and have coffee and just talk about theology in our lives. And, and so she leaned in. And I was really surprised. She asked me about the church that I went to and what it was all about. And I wasn't even wearing my collar that day. Uh, And in in that case, the young woman did actually end up coming to church uh, at a certain point. And she had even uh, joined a small group. I mean, it was really surprising to me. Again, it shouldn't be surprising. But it was that somebody would receive that in faith and lean in. And I'm sure that when Epaphras came and he preached the good news about Jesus to the Colossians, that there were some who with whom he, that message meant resistance. And I'm sure that there are some who met it with just ambivalence. Like, what does it matter? And I'm sure, obviously, that there are some who met that message with faith and, and repentance and But it was his faithfulness to proclaim it. If you don't proclaim it, it doesn't get met with faith. And what St. Paul is saying is that this good news about the crucified and risen and glorified reigning Christ is bearing fruit. And it's increasing wherever it's being proclaimed. And the ways that that fruit is bearing, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing out there is the way that that same gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in here. For the Colossians, for you and for me. And the language of bearing fruit and increasing is mentioned twice in this small paragraph uh, in verses 1 through 14. And I think the reason that he mentions the bearing fruit and increasing is because there are a lot of allusions to the Old Testament in this letter. And I think this is an allusion to the uh, God's blessing of humanity, this bearing fruit, uh, being fruitful and multiplying. So the gospel is bearing fruit, and it is uh, multiplying, it is increasing. It's blessing humanity in a new creation kind of way. There is a new creation, a new covenant, and humanity is blessed by it. And, And that would have been an encouragement to those Colossians who may have been wondering if the gospel is really going to make any difference. When things slowed down, the excitement started to wear away. When things got really difficult... Is it really making a difference? It's easy to think that uh, my faithfulness amidst a pretty mundane, uh, often overscheduled 
life is not good enough to experience the knowledge of the Lord. And I'm, I'm tempted to think that, man, maybe I need something else to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. There's this temptation to abandon the things that God's calling us to be faithful in, to pursue something that feels more transcendent, more other than my mundane and often overscheduled existence. And some may want to escape God's call and do it through negative or positive things, right? The negative things we think of like workaholism or other escapist behaviors or addictions or positive things like church activities or long spiritual retreats. Peter Scazzaro uses a helpful phrase. He wrote emotionally healthy spirituality. He talks about using God to run away from God, right? And so it's possible to try and find things that feel transcendent to escape the things that I'm called to be faithful in right now. But remember that fruit takes a long time to form and to produce. And that's what he's telling them. There are good things like spiritual retreats, vacations, and those things are most fruitful and profitable when they help us to reflect on the ways that God is bearing fruit and increasing in our lives. And the the knowledge of God is increasing in those everyday sort of quotidian types of uh, moments of our existence. That same gospel that's bearing fruit and increasing in the world is bearing fruits in our hearts as well. As we grow in the knowledge of the grace of God in that everyday stuff that God has called us into and called us to steward. The good news of Jesus is slowly doing this new work of creation in us and through us. And so what St. Paul is doing is he is giving thanks for what God is doing in the Colossians. And then after giving thanks, when we get to verse 9 and following, he offers them a glimpse into the ways that he's praying for them. He asks that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then again, he uses that same phrase, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing In the knowledge of God. So here it shows up again. The good news of Christ, which is producing fruit in you, is also going to produce fruit through you as you come to know God more fully. Um, And in fact, this reminds me a little bit of the collect that we prayed today. If you're new to Anglicanism, you may not know what a collect is. A collect is a short prayer that we pray together in community, uh, and, and it's got several elements to it. It generally consists of this initial address to God, an acknowledgement of some divine attribute, a petition, an aspiration, like some desired result, and a pleading, and then a Trinitarian sort of sealing of that prayer. And, and, and so that forms what we call a collect. And today's collect says this, it says, Let your merciful ears, O Lord... Be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Here it is. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you in the same spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. And and so think about that line for a second. I'm going to say it slowly. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. In other words, Lord, hear my prayers and grant my request. However, 
Teach me to ask the things that you love to actually grant. And so St. Paul is praying that they would press on in bearing fruit in virtuous works. That it accords with the right knowledge of God. You need both things. We need to pray. We need to grow in the knowledge of God to even know what to ask for. Again, it's a heuristic process of growth in the knowledge of God and growing in virtuous works so that we grow again in the knowledge of God. And then he prays for them to be strengthened for the purpose of endurance and patience with joy. Thankfulness is one of the major themes in this epistle to the Colossians. That is over and over like five or six times, at least one time in each chapter. And Paul is given thanks and he prays that the Colossians would be a people that are marked by giving thanks. And the reason for that comes in verses 12 through 14. Where he talks about God's people who have been qualified, like adopted children, to be inheritors of the kingdom. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it talks about them being delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And when you think of somebody with a Jewish background, hearing the gospel, hearing the word redemption, you know, we, we can talk about redemption being as a purchase from slavery, but when you're Jewish, the thing that you think about when, when you talk about redemption is the Exodus. God redeemed the people out of bondage of slavery into a new life. And so what we have here is a connection to a new kind of Exodus for a new covenant people where God rescued them from the domain of darkness and he brings them into a new kingdom, a new kingdom of light under the reign and rule of his son, Jesus Christ, who is crucified, glorified, ascended, and reigns as king over all things. And the good news of the mystery of Jesus Christ produces then love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, this is God's creative work that he takes that which is not a people and he makes them into the people of God together, a new people being created out of what was not. And it produces a disposition of thankfulness, of thankfulness. It produces virtuous deeds that honor and glorify the King of Kings. And as we walk in faithfulness, we then grow again in the knowledge of God, who he is and the kind of grace that he has for his children. We don't need to escape our lives to know God. That's one of the the major themes in Colossians. You do not need to escape your life to know God. God, uh, you come to know God in an embodied way through your daily mundane tasks. uh, The things that God has told you to do and called you to. The good news in Colossians is that the grace and, and knowledge of God are embodied. And that body of our crucified Lord is the one who reigns over all. And fruit is produced in us and is produced through us, not outside the realm of our embodied experiences. We don't have to escape them. And it's going to take time and patience, but we're committed to playing the long game as Christians when it comes to faithfulness and discipleship. I remember, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, I did a whole sermon series on patience, which was really helpful at the beginning of a church plant. Um, And thinking about us as a church plant still playing the long game of faithfulness to Jesus. The words we speak, the things that you and I give our attention to, the relationships that we hold, that we steward, 
um, those responsibilities that we have, those are all avenues of productivity and faithfulness. Those are all things that God has given us to bless us in his new creation. And you and I then are called to the slow process of fruit bearing and tending to the plants in the kingdom of God. And, and so just as in our colic today, we want God to teach us through his Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to him. As we grow in the knowledge of God, we grow in the virtue of, of living out God's will. And so as a result, we come to know God more deeply. Let us pray. Gracious God and most merciful Father, you have granted us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit, that the same word may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your own image, to build us up and edify us into the perfect dwelling place of your Christ, sanctifying us, and increasing in us all heavenly virtues. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.